electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with the Deirdre Bosa and John Fort today. Uh, investors search for some returns. Last year's biggest mega cap winner delivers again. Alphabet surging after reporting Q4 and a planned 20 for 1 split. Meantime, investors splitting up with PayPal. Shares on pace for the worst day in seven years. Very rough start to the market there for PayPal as they talk about the consumer. A tough year for fintech as well. And then trusting the processing. AMD's high performance chips drive growth. Sales up 68 year on year, D. Well, Carl, we'll start with Alphabet surging today. And what is results signal for the rest of big tech? A big beat, a strong outlook, a stock split, shares shooting higher, more than 6.5%. Uh, it was up more than 10% at the open. So just this massive revaluing of Alphabet. Putting this into context, though, big tech mostly survived that selling that we have seen over the last few weeks, the 50% drawdowns in software and recent IPOs. But Alphabet was still hit, of course. It was down nearly 5% going into the print year to date. Now, a lot of focus has been on Alphabet's valuation after today's move. It is up more than 50% over the last year, but revenue was up more than 30% year over year. Free cash flow, still impressive, some $140 billion on the cash in cash and cash on hand. And if you look at its PE ratio within tech, Alphabet and Meta are the best deals in terms of value for the mega caps. Netflix, Amazon trade at 45 and 80 times forward PE. And we've heard this time and time again, guys, uh, that this value is here. But Alphabet, of course, also this growth play, because as I mentioned, with $140 billion on its balance sheet, it can continue to collect on its core digital advertising, but it can also continue to pour money into things like cloud and autonomous driving. John, I asked Ruth Porat last night if there was any chance that there would be a dividend. She said, you know, our strategy hasn't changed. Even in a rising inflationary environment, they still are going to invest back into their core. Yeah, that, that stock split, a big deal, though, particularly for retail investors that you know, I've, I've just seen all over my Twitter feed begging for various stock splits. But I think the point that you bring up about valuation and how they compare to other big tech companies on a free cash flow basis is really important here. Because overall, it seems like part of the message that we're getting is that demand for tech-driven products and services has continued, but companies perhaps that were overhyped during the last couple year cycle, falling back to earth, whether you're looking at your Zoom or your Peloton or, or what have you. But I mean, the, the transactions that are uh, being advertised through Google's services end up, many of them, in transactions. So it's interesting that we've got this PayPal alphabet uh, dichotomy opening up here, Carl, uh, and that it was really just the core ad business for Alphabet's Google that drove these results. 
Uh, yeah, Corad was definitely the star. Uh, interesting, uh, given the fact that YouTube was a light, at least compared to a couple of estimates. I think more interesting uh, is the hiring in general, D. Mm. Uh, 6,500 new workers added in the quarter. That's a new quarterly record, uh, 50% more than we thought. And get this, it's two times Pinterest's entire workforce wow. added in one quarter. <laughs> Yeah, it puts it in perspective. I heard you guys talking about this earlier. I think Kramer said, you know, they want brains. They're willing to pay up for it. And they can. It goes back to that cash flow uh, question. And they can do this a lot easier than some others, say Amazon, that has a very different labor issue. They're trying to get people to work in the warehouse. Um, Google Alphabet plays in the sort of talent wars, the Silicon Valley talent wars. Uh, John, you know, there was just so much to take from this quarter. What does it say also about the rest of the season, right? When we go back to its core, it's digital advertising. I know that we're looking to Facebook, Snap in the week ahead. Yeah, there's that. Uh, we've got Meta tonight and the read through there just on core ad. Carl is interesting, but also uh, thinking about AWS. And now that we've got strong expectations from Microsoft Azure and pretty strong performance from Google Cloud, uh, people are going to be expecting big things from AWS as well. Yeah. Uh, let's stick with the uh, mega cap tech, talk about the performance and how much the market's relying on it with our Mike Santoli. Hey, Mike. Hey, Carl. You know, from a little bit over a week ago when Microsoft reported its earnings January 25th, you have had that familiar feel of the mega cap growth stocks uh, with, you know, the, the fangs and Apple, uh, a huge part of that taking the four and, and essentially helping the overall S&P take up the slack of, of some weakness elsewhere. This is the spread in that mega cap growth basket, the Vanguard fund, about 50 percent, uh, essentially the top five Nasdaq stocks. That's the weighting uh, relative to the equal weighted S&P 500. So you see this spread has opened up here. Remember, Microsoft's numbers were sort of not so overwhelming on the print, but then the guidance was was good. And I think it was serving mostly as a reminder of just the kind of core effortless earnings power of these platforms. I also think think they're benefiting from the fact that they're coming uh, from the hole. They're basically all down, even before today, between 5 and 20% from their highs. So take a look at a one-year version of this chart to show that it's not as if they are reasserting true leadership. It's just that they're acting uh, really as ballast for the overall market. And that's that familiar rotational uh, feel. So you see mega cap growth still coming from a, a deeper sell-off and is not yet matching what the equal-weighted S&P has done on a one-year basis. So I don't think it has to be one or the other. I don't think all these stocks have to really work at the same time, but they're so large that when you have a couple of them that are getting back into favor, uh, it sort of covers up a lot of the soft spots in the rest of the market. Uh, Mike, just to, to bring it back to Alphabet a little bit in the context of yep. what's been happening overall, how much was Alphabet, Google lagging uh, some of the others? I, I'm wondering how much of this has to do with expectations and catch up and the overall sort of NASDAQ resurgence that we've seen over the last couple of days, perhaps all bottled together. Yeah, John, I mean, it entirely depends on what time frame you're looking at. Last year, Alphabet was up something like 60 percent. I mean, it and Microsoft were really the huge winners of this group. But if you go back, you know, four years, it's basically neck and neck with Amazon over that span of time. And of course, we know Amazon's been in this fallow period for a year, year and a half. Uh, so I don't know that necessarily people were caught flat-footed on the strength of, of Alphabet's numbers. But I think any time you get one of these 15% pullbacks because the macro's in question and the, the QQQs are selling off, and all of a sudden Alphabet comes out and says, hey, we're still Alphabet, that seems to be enough at least to you know, make up some of those losses. 
Yeah, still Alphabet indeed. Uh, Mike, I want to ask you a little bit about this stock split, 20 to 1. Um, you know, it feels like a play for the retail investor. It also raises questions about Alphabet potentially replacing IBM in the Dow. I know that a few have asked and maybe yeah. raises the bar for Amazon. What are the chances that we could see Andy Jassy announce a stock split tomorrow night? I mean, it's it's a complete kind of act of speculation to say, will Amazon do that? I mean, it hasn't seemed to be a priority for something like Amazon. You know, Google has done a split in, before in its history. Uh, it is a play for the retail investor. We know a lot of investing is psychology and enthusiasm. And even though stock splits have no fundamental value-based you know, uh, usage, uh, they are something that retail likes. Also makes options a little bit less expensive to buy. That's been a big part of the retail story. Getting into the Dow, it's now feasible. It's very conspicuous that the Dow does not have Alphabet or Amazon in it. Uh, IBM is about $100 billion in market cap, I think, versus $2 trillion uh, for, uh, for uh, Alphabet. The thing is, I'm not sure that means much of anything. Salesforce has been actually kind of a laggard since it entered the Dow, uh, you know, what, a year and a half ago or so. All right, Mike. Thank you, Mike Santoli. So what do Alphabet strong earnings mean for Meta and Spotify after the bell? Snap tomorrow. We raised the question. Now let's get some answers. Let's bring in Julia Borston on that. Hey, Julia. Oh, well, John, the question is, where do you want to start here? I mean, it was so interesting looking at Google's overall better than expected advertising growth. But the fact that YouTube did fall short of analyst expectations, YouTube did grow its revenue 25 percent, but that was less than analysts were looking for. So I think overall, it looks like the advertising market is coming back. Phil Schindler, uh, Google's chief business officer, talked about retail, finance, media, and entertainment travel all being strong ad categories. So I think that does bode well, John, for this bigger question of how much did advertisers pull back in, in the fourth quarter? Maybe not quite as much as some had feared, but you have to look at the fact that companies like Meta as well as Pinterest and, and Snap, they are going to be impacted by those Apple IDFA operating system changes more so than, say, Google was. It's interesting, too, though. I mean, I'm looking at Meta, you know, Facebook stock this morning. It's about flat. Um, so if there's a read-through, investors don't seem to be uh, buying it, <laughs> literally, right now. Let me see. Uh, it'll take me a minute to get to Snap also, since it's Way on the, but I'm looking at that. That is yeah. down four and a half percent as well. So um, perhaps some opportunity here or I don't know. Well, look, Meta of all of the social stocks, Meta is down the least since all of these companies earnings three months ago. But these are these are stocks that have really suffered since the last round of earnings. And that's because there were so many warnings, not just about the overall ad market pulling back on supply chain constraints, also about those Apple operating system changes, and then also these questions that were particularly raised by Pinterest of what's going to happen with engagement once economies start opening up again. Remember that Pinterest actually lost uh, monthly active users in the last quarter. So the question, you know, over the course of that quarter. So the question is, are we going to see engagement flat? Are we going to see it growing? There's always a lot of attention on those monthly active and daily active users for Meta here in the U.S. and Canada, because that is the most profitable region uh, for the company to try to understand if they're able to grow engagement when there is so much competition from the likes of TikTok. Meanwhile, Julia, PayPal continues to be uh, way down, uh, 25%, losing a quarter of its market cap after the guide comes in soft. This is the worst day. Going back to the spinoff from eBay in uh, 2015, our Kate Rooney is with us after talking to Dan Schulman. Kate? 
Hey, Carl, PayPal's big miss was really on numbers for the rest of this year, especially those net new accounts. It's looking for 20 million at the high end this year. And last year, for some context, it added close to 50 million accounts. PayPal also scrapped a prior goal of hitting 750 million accounts. Executives say they're now looking for quality over quantity. And that's a result of what they called bad actors taking advantage of perks and incentives that PayPal offers to gin up user growth. Last quarter, more than 4 million accounts were deemed illegitimate and didn't factor at all into that total. eBay is also the hangover that just will not go away here for PayPal. And after saying in November that the transition would essentially be done earlier this year, CEO Dan Schulman telling me it's looking more like the back half of this year. So Q3 at the earliest, not as big of a drag as last year, but it's still looking to be about a $600 million pressure on revenue for the year. Shulman telling me that if you strip out eBay, growth was actually better than it looked, and the transition is, quote, hiding some of the underlying strength of the business. Some analysts agree. They think eBay is temporary, but as BTIG said this morning, along with some other downgrades by Wall Street analysts, they cannot recommend the stock. In the meantime, it's now what they call a show-me story. Shulman also pointing to some external factors. He talked about inflation, COVID variants, lack of pandemic stimulus, and cross-border factors hitting consumer spending. But this really caught Wall Street off guard, especially after Visa, MasterCard, and Amex beat last week and said pretty much the opposite. Those three highlighting strong consumer spending and issued solid guidance. Guys. Kate, so I understand in context of sort of those legacy payments players, this didn't look good. The guidance didn't look good. But honestly, when you look under the surface, and a 25% drop at the moment in the stock, it maybe wasn't that bad. I know that Dan Dolov is going to make this argument later, but look at take rate, right? <laughs> Growing for the first time in several quarters. And I know that everyone is focused on this net new accounts number. Yes, that was disappointing. But on the flip side, and you mentioned this, Showman's talking about increasing engagement and average revenue per user. Isn't this what we want <laughs> from our fintech? Start to be more profitable, increase engagement versus, <laughs> you know, a Robinhood that can only do one thing. Isn't it all about cross-selling and using the platform more? Well, John Rainey's point on the call was exactly that, that they're not going to grow like a tech company. They're going to focus more on average revenue per user, some of the quality customers, and trying to really home in on that customer that's going to stay on PayPal for a while versus being attracted to, you know, a $100 perk or some sort of incentive to sign up for the account. So that could be seen as a, a good long-term strategy. They did grow TPV. There are some pieces of underlying strength. I think the thing that's frustrating analysts is that the goalpost keeps moving in terms of eBay and some of the super app things. Venmo profitability, it showed some strength, uh, grew 80% year over year, but is still sort of in the in the background here for PayPal. It hasn't become a huge driver of profits. And so I think a lot of it is the super app. It's a long-term vision, but people just want to say, you know what, we're going to hold off until they actually show us versus guide to certain metrics that they just have not yeah. been able to hit in the past two years. Or more so. than more than holding off. Shares are down 26 percent. Uh, we'll be really key to see what Block Now Square uh, reports. Thank you very much, Kate Rooney. After the break, we're going to dive into AMD's results. Lots of earnings to get through. Uh, Tech Check is just getting started. AMD up nearly four percent, by the way. What does it mean to be rich? 
Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Got some breaking news regarding Warner Media and CNN. For that, we'll go back to Julia Borston. Jeff Zucker, he is has been president of CNN and chairman of Warner Media's News and Sports Division, resigning today, writing in a memo to his employees that he failed to disclose to the company a romantic relationship with another senior executive at CNN. Zucker has been at the company for about nine years. And I just want to point out that this comes at a very uh, particular time for the company. You know, th- he was in charge of a very important division at Warner Media, which is in the process of this merger with Discovery, which is expected to happen in the second quarter. He was overseeing the launch of a CNN Plus digital program. And Zucker was known to have a close relationship with David Zaslav, who's going to be running the combined companies. So this does raise a number of questions about what this could mean for the management of this important piece of the combined Discovery Warner Media business. This whole uh, thing, this relationship came to light uh, when there was this investigation into the conduct of Chris Cuomo. Guys, back over to you. Uh, Julia, thanks for that. Meantime, uh, big cap tech, it's not just Alphabet today. Shares of AMD are higher, although office session highs. After topping estimates for the fourth quarter, issuing some strong guidance for 22. Xilinx also jumping today. AMD is on, still on track to acquire the company. Joining us this morning, B of A analyst Vivek Arya has a buy on the stock and just raised his price target to 190. Vivek, I guess having um, the buy on AMD and the underperform on Intel kind of says everything about where we are right now. That's exactly right, Carl. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Um, I think AMD is just getting started. Um, the company grew 50% and to 60% in the last uh, five years. And their market share in their core business of PC and server CPU is still only 15%. So every year as they are gaining share, it's on the fact that they are targeting the right set of customers in uh, cloud computing. Uh, management team is executing extremely well and they're getting very good support uh, from their manufacturing partners at uh, TSMC and other main foundries. And at the same time, Intel seems uh, to be distracted in investing in a lot of foundry uh, business, which we don't think is core uh, to them regaining their footing in this market. So we think AMD is just getting started and a VC earnings potentially doubling to tripling over the next few years. How are they, I mean, to explain to viewers, it's one thing to execute on the design and the engineering and the sales, but you mentioned that foundry partnerships, uh, not winding up with some of the other uh, chain uh, congestion that we've seen in the industry. How are they doing that? Sure. I think, Carl, the uh, one important thing that has been perhaps missed in, in the discussion of supply shortages is that there are certain end markets in semiconductors that are getting some preference. 
So if you are uh, selling to uh, the cloud computing customers, you are getting more preference from uh, the supply chain. So that's a very important, as opposed to serving the automotive and industrial uh, markets that went through a lot of cyclical upheaval and trade tensions over the last few years, cloud computing demand has been very strong. So it's important to target the right markets. Number two, what's also important is focus. That when you have a company such as AMD or NVIDIA or Broadcom or Marvell who are focused on design and letting somebody like Taiwan Semiconductor focus on the manufacturing side, when you bring the two sides together, which have their respective focus, that's why you see this group of companies producing the right results, as opposed to others who are trying to attack both the design and the manufacturing side, which we think is an inherently flawed strategy. Uh, Vivek, to go a little bit deeper into the relationships that AMD has developed with OEMs for years and years, the issue was, boy, they couldn't get into more than just the value segment, for example, with PC makers being consistent on server was difficult. Now they've got this strategy that includes looking forward what, what Lisa Sue is calling heterogeneous computing, first in servers, eventually in PCs. How stable are those OEM relationships and what should we take away from the share gain that they've had, given that they're cracking into areas that were so hard for them to maintain a foothold in before? Absolutely. John, so if we look back in the history of AMD, uh, back in 2003, uh, you know, they were at a similar position when market share was low. But over a period of three years, their market share and servers went from 5% to 26%. That was on the strength of a product. And at that time, if you remember, you know, there was nothing called the cloud. It was all enterprise customers. So the point is that whenever companies have the right product, they're able to engage with these customers uh, very quickly. Now, if you fast forward to where we are now, AMD's market share in servers has gone from essentially nothing to close to 15%. And we think it has the capability to go to 30 to 35. And why is that? Because the cloud customers are spending at a very fast clip, right? We saw last year, Facebook said that they're going to invest 66% more this year. But how do you spend 66% more? You need a reliable partner who's executing well on the design side, who is then backed up by the rights at, of manufacturing and then the right uh, back end in terms of substrates and, and other uh, capacity. So I think th those are the stars that are aligning uh, for AMD. And as I mentioned, they're just getting started and we think their market share could go up. Now you're right that cracking the enterprise business is tougher. It does take a longer period of time. But we saw in the last quarter that AMD reported their server sales to enterprise also doubled uh, year on year, which was even faster than what Intel has managed to do. And last point I would quickly make is that for the first time, we saw AMD's business in the data center is actually more profitable than Intel's business in the data center, even though AMD is much smaller today. Mm. We'll talk about uh, PC sales maybe the next time, Vivek, as they do have some challenges maybe in the year ahead, but uh, we'll save that for another day. Great to see you. Vivek Arya, B of A. As we head to a break, a check on another earnings mover. Check out Electronic Arts falling after guidance coming in light. Obviously interesting with all the deals so far in 2022. What happens to an EA? It hasn't made a big deal. Plus, after the break, why one of the street's top analysts is calling Alphabet both a high value and a high growth stock. Can it be both? Tech Check is back in two. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? 
summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Deirdre Bosa. Take a look at some of the biggest laggards on the NDX this morning. No surprise that PayPal is leading the way to the downside. little weakness in Netflix as well, uh, lower after gaining 18% in the last few sessions. And another high-growth name, Okta, seeing some losses now down 25 since November. We're going to talk more about the selling in PayPal and the surge in Alphabet in a moment after a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hey, Rahel. Hey, Carl. Good morning. And here's what's happening at this hour. Shares of Michael Kors' parent, Capri Holdings, soaring on growing demand for luxury handbags and apparel. The stock was up more than 15% pre-market, but is now up closer to 8%. Match Group has erased losses after it reported earnings after the bell. Shares are now up about 7%. Match lowered its revenue forecast for this year, but also gave encouraging details about its relationship app, Pinch. Oil prices rose after OPEC and its allies did not change their policy of gradual production increases. However, crude has given up those gains and is now slightly lower on the day. Private sector payrolls sank unexpectedly in January as Omicron took a bite out of job growth. That is the first payroll drop in a year. Stocks showed little reaction to the report. Bond yields did rise initially, but have since moved lower. And SpaceX's Starlink has quietly rolled out a new deluxe version of its satellite internet service. The premium service costs $500 per month. That's five times its standard offering. Starlink says that it's aiming the pricier service at business customers who want more bandwidth and connections at more locations. You're now up to date. Deidre, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, thanks very much for that. Let's take a closer look at Alphabet's earnings. Our next guest sees the stock as both a high growth and a high value play. We talked about this earlier, calling the results among the company's most impressive in recent years. Joining us now, Evercore ISI head of Internet Research, Mark Mahaney. Mark, it's great to talk to you. Uh, we did talk about it being kind of both on both ends, right? Lower value than some of the other mega cap names, but still with a lot of growth ahead of it. It was interesting on the earnings call. It felt like the analysts last night wanted to push uh, Senator Pachine team to talk more about those future plans. He was asked about crypto, Web3, metaverse. And, you know, unlike some of the other CEOs that we hear on this topic, they took a really measured stance saying, yes, we're working on it and we will share more when we have more. Does that kind of give you confidence in their future ability to keep growing in emerging places like emerging technologies? Well, uh, Deirdre, you know, you're right. They um, they can be very guarded in the earnings call, but that's okay. Uh, you know, the numbers speak for themselves when it comes to the company and the free cash flow generation and the revenue growth of this uh, asset. What they're showing is, although we're always focused on these future businesses, which driving this business is still the core search business. And 
I've lost track here, 18 years after the company was founded. Um, they're still growing that at 32% year over year. That's really impressive. But it also says that a lot of this innovation is occurring right in the core business. Like they're using machine learning and AI to make search results more and more relevant, especially as we've seen this consumer shift towards online retail and omni-channel retail. Google is extremely well positioned for that. And that's one of the reasons we like the stock here. Mark, uh, nearly $140 billion cash pile that Alphabet has, and we're in an inflationary environment. Should it be doing more with that in terms of returning value to shareholders? Yeah, it, it should be. And I think they are. They stepped up. They did $13.5 billion in uh, share repurchases last year. We think they can continue at that uh, pace, and they can probably actually increase it. So for the full year, they did about $50 billion in, in uh, uh, share returns. I think you're going to see – I think a dividend is, is inevitable. Now, whether I don't think it's this year. I think two to three years out down the road. But this is a company that we think has gone track to generate $100 billion in free cash flow by 2023. And within the next three years, it's probably going to be the large cap company generating more free cash flow than any other. And one of the reasons I also like the stock is it's not priced like that. It still trades at a discount. The names like Microsoft and Apple, even though Google, I think, is going to be generating more free cash flow than either of those companies in a relatively short period of time. Uh, hey, Mark, it is John. I wonder your thoughts on what we can learn about cost discipline under Pichai and Porat under, you know, after this quarter. I mean, they hired quite a bit, um, but things like driverless and all these other, uh, other bets <laughs> that they we're emphasizing before that seemed to be the reason why they went with this alphabet thing to to take the focus off of just Google and maybe at least sideline some of those uh, those other costs. I mean, th that doesn't seem to be the story here. They might as well just call it Google. Right. But what are we learning about cost discipline? John, I, I think cost discipline is kind of the same as it's always ever been with Google. So they're going to invest. They're going to spend aggressively on forward investments. And by the way, as a tech investor, that's what you want them to be doing. You want them to be building out option value. I think there's still some dramatic option value here. There was Waymo was not mentioned one time in the earnings call last night. I think that's that five to 10 year wonderful option value that you get for free, really, as a Google shareholder, although it may turn out to be zero, but it could also turn out to be a lot. They're running this business at 30 percent you know, operating margins. I don't think we're going to see a major change in that. Maybe slightly goes up in the next couple of years. That's where they want to run the business and any excess profits are going to plow back into future investments. I think that's good for tech shareholders. Hey, Mark, I wonder, you know, we've been talking in recent months about uh, worries at Snap and Pins and PayPal. Some include Twitter in there. Are you sensing more distance between the very large names that you cover and the smaller ones? Yeah, Carl, it, that's, that's kind of hard to uh, not come up with that conclusion. Uh, it does seem like they're reaching a point of scale where the amount that they're investing in new businesses just swamps uh, what these what the, some of the smaller companies can do. Now, I think Snapchat, Snap, is one of those companies that's extremely good at product innovation. One of the problems, one of the reasons, one of the problems we've had with Twitter for quite some time is that they haven't been great at product innovation on either the advertiser or the consumer side. They need to fix that. But yes, we're seeing kind of a continued separation because to their credit, these large tech companies, whether it's Amazon that I look at, Amazon, Facebook, or Google, are investing aggressively in the future. They're they're, that's also a responsible shareholder activity, but they've got enough cash now that they can return it to mm -hmm. us at the same time. It's a, it's a good combo. Yeah, Amazon, though, has a considerably smaller cash pile, still a big one. Uh, Mark, what are you looking for from that company? And do you think that there could be a surprise on the advertising side, um, especially given that Amazon is a name that's floated that could actually benefit from Apple's privacy changes along with Google because it also has access to first-party data? 
Yeah, Deirdre, I, I, I like that uh, the setup there because I, th- I do think that they've benefited. I think both of those companies benefited from the Apple privacy changes. I, I think Facebook solves that problem. That's one of the reasons I really like the stock is it's more dislocated than Google. I like both stocks, but I prefer Facebook. But with Amazon, I do want to be a little careful here. I think that there's real risk to the guidance that they give on Thursday night in terms of the profitability for the March quarter. I think the street is way too high on that number. Mm. And then Google talked about it last night, but foreign exchange is a major uh, risk for uh, any of these companies with material international exposure. So that also could clip the revenue growth outlook at uh, Amazon. I really like Amazon. I think it's more of an H2, you know, second half of this year's uh, stock story. I think the market will bid up in advance of that. But I do worry about the March quarter guide coming out of Amazon. Right. They said between, I think, zero and three billion dollars worth of operating profit. Mark, thank you very much. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Deirdre. Coming up, Jack Dorsey weighs in on the impact of Bitcoin for both Facebook and Twitter. Why he says Meta wasted a lot of time and effort over the last few years. Stay with us. We're back in two. Jack Dorsey taking aim at Meta, speaking at a crypto conference yesterday. The Block CEO criticized the company for trying and failing to develop its own crypto project versus just embracing Bitcoin. Hopefully they learned a lot, but I think there was a lot of wasted effort and time when those two years or three years or however long it's been could have been spent um, making, uh, you know, making Bitcoin more accessible for more people around the world, which would also benefit their messenger product and Instagram and WhatsApp. So that's Meta. Dorsey also looked back at the company he founded, of course, Twitter. If Bitcoin existed before Twitter started, I think we would see completely different business models. We wouldn't, I don't think we would be as dependent upon an advertising business model. I think there would be a much healthier balance on multiple business models at once. Uh, fascinating reflection there, D, uh, from the man who literally wrote the very first tweet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to continue to talk about this because Dorsey's not the only one thinking about crypto provision in the new bill in Congress would give Treasury the power to go after crypto's bad actors. But that's getting pushed back. Elon Mui has a story. Elon. Well, Deirdre, crypto advocates are learning how Washington works and already scoring a couple of wins. Take the massive legislation known as the America Competes Act that's starting to move in the House today. Tucked inside the bill is a provision from Democratic Representative Jim Himes that gives Treasury the power to go after bad actors outside the banking system, like those who use crypto. It also eliminated public notice of those investigations. Now, the industry immediately sounded the alarm and Himes listened. To answer your question very directly, the cryptocurrency community is um, pretty aggressive in their advocacy. I care deeply about transparency. And and again, in crypto and blockchain generally, we need to make sure that we don't fail to strike the balance between all of the innovation and all of the possibility. uh, But also, of course, having the tools to go after those really bad actors, those terrorists, those money launders. So I actually really appreciated the feedback. So the compromise, Treasury can still take action on crypto, but it has to tell the public when it's doing that. The industry called their conversations with lawmakers reasonable and productive. Guys, this is proof that the best way to win a fight in Washington is just not to have one. Back over to you. (laughs) Sometimes. Elon, thank you. Tech Check is back in a moment.
Let's get a gut check on Etsy, UBS upgrading the stock to neutral, but lowering the price target to 180 bucks a share. The stock trading lower this morning by almost 8%. UBS impressed by the online marketplace's profitability, but concerned by its limited target market and post-COVID buyer behavior. Etsy stock down nearly 50% from its all-time high in November, among the worst performers in the NASDAQ today. Etsy, PayPal, Netflix, eBay, Twitter, and Tesla all down sharply, Carl. Uh, Meanwhile, John, get a check on Match Group today. Initially fell after a weak revenue forecast, but shares trying to rally a bit. Revenue for Hinge doubling last year as online dating continues to grow in popularity. Talked about dating in the metaverse. We're back in two. Meta, that's Facebook, reports earnings in a few hours, and it's in the red today, fractionally, despite that big beat from Alphabet, which is Google. It marks the first time the company's going to break out its Reality Labs revenue segment, which includes augmented and virtual reality efforts. Our next guest argues, though, that companies like Meta and Alphabet have abused user data to maintain their market power and need to be kept in check. Joining us now, tech entrepreneur and Superset co-founder Tom Chavez. Chavez, also the founder of the organization Ethical Tech, uh, Tom, welcome. So your approach, though, to the problems that these digital ad giants have created is a capitalist approach even more than also calling uh, for regulation, though you are calling for both. Explain. That's exactly right. Look, a lot of us are concerned about the consequences or, or the negative effects of the government stepping in and overreaching. Uh, and setting new regulations that undercut the value of the Internet and the possibilities that, that businesses enjoy now to leverage data to grow their top lines. Uh, we also recognize, though, that companies like Meta have trampled on our privacy and, and the drums are beating. It's not a passing fad. It's a potential extinction level event for Meta and other companies. So our approach here is to is to propose standards that help us get it right. Uh, we think there's a middle path that allows consumers to enjoy greater privacy and trust and security of their data, while again allowing businesses uh, to collect data responsibly t- to grow their businesses. Now, as we see today, Alphabet is doing very well, better than 30% top line growth led by the core search and advertising business. So, in a way, is your approach not bullish on these names, uh, effectively arguing that their problems become growth markets in and of themselves? That's exactly right. Look, I I don't know if Meta is going to miss, meet, or exceed expectations. What I do know is that their profits are going to be gigantic, and it's going to be further evidence of the unbreakable market power that they've assembled. Now, look, we can disagree on the perils of concentration of power like this, the more fundamental problem is the costs that we've all incurred as companies like Facebook continue to uh, assemble this this kind of market power. It comes at the expense of trust and security and privacy. What animates a lot of the concern and excitement around crypto is, is, uh, as mentioned before the break, this idea of trust and security of data. A similar concern animates uh, what a lot of us are doing now in the realm of privacy. Hey, Tom, I wonder, you know, uh, of course, the consumer himself is not standing still. Uh, 
they are getting less trust, uh, trusting in, in big media and certainly technology, uh, more sophisticated. I wonder, as we move in, say, to the metaverse and away from the classic news feed, uh, are you optimistic that maybe the audience is a little more, I don't want to say jaded, but, but grounded on what they're seeing and hearing? Well, I think certainly as, as more consumers move to the metaverse, I think the problems that we're seeing today will only be accentuated. Right? We're going to see more of this, these troubles not less of them. And I think that as more people spend more of their time in the metaverse, they're going to become increasingly uh, concerned. Many consumers today would rather just trade off convenience for privacy, right? And Facebook and other companies have enjoyed, um, you know, the benefits of that trade-off. But I think you're right. As more people move to the metaverse, we're going to see more of these kinds of heightened, uh, this heightened awareness of, of the perils of of data and how it's being used and, and how big companies, big tech, uh, are, are abusing it. Tom, what makes you think that, that users are going to, you know, sacrifice convenience for that privacy? Is there an indication? I mean, when we look at sales of Oculus over the Christmas period or the holiday period, we saw that the downloads were, you know, were, it was at the top of the app store. So what indication do you have that this will actually hinder Meta's ambitions there? Well, the, the first most most important thing to take note of is just the mounting array of, of regulations now that are that have taken root in Europe with But GDPR. that's from lawmakers, not users, right? And that, there's always been this disconnect. No, and I think you're absolutely right. I think there is this kind of disparity between uh, what what the governments are trying to do now to protect the interests of their citizens and consumers, and 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 more consumers definitely preferring that convenience to security. Look, I think if you know. Certainly, the majority of consumers are going to prefer to make that kind of trade-off. It's the five to ten to twenty percent, right, who are making their voices heard and are saying, "I'm not going to, I'm not going to work with this kind of approach anymore." Those are the people who are, t- you know, taking action. And I think we need to be attentive to their concerns. That's what my colleagues and I in the Ethical Tech Project are taking seriously. Um, we also see, I can tell you, because I run a privacy and data security company. We see a lot of our customers coming to us now and saying, look, I, I want to be the opposite of that. I want to demonstrate that I'm a great steward of my consumer's data. And so can you help me get this right? Can I hmm. deploy new standards, new tools to really responsibly collect and use consumer data? Because I'm betting that in the long arc of things, that's going to be an enduring source of power for my company. Yeah, and in a sense, Apple becoming uh, effectively a super regulator in this space, uh, doing more across the entire space, probably than a lot of governments have, at least to uh, realign things. Tom from Superset, thank you. Thank you. If you missed part of the show, don't forget to follow and subscribe to our podcast to listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in just a moment. The Dow is down 10 points, so you might think that it is a quiet day, but that is missing some huge moves under the surface. Shares of PayPal, Lucid, Netflix, Okta, Zoom, all sharply lower that growth complex. Dan Dolo from Mizuho is a PayPal bull and says investors are missing the fundamental story here. Dan, we talked about this a little earlier, the take rate increasing, engagement is good, but I guess it goes back to the question is, how do we value PayPal? Should it be valued like a tech company or more like a traditional payment player? 
Hey, Deidre, always great to be on the show. I know it's, it's kind of a sad day for PayPal, but I think, you know, overall, this is just an expectations management, you know, kind of a disaster. The stock itself or the fundamentals, as you said, are actually getting better, right? So the, the take rate is getting better. I've never seen it getting better in, in the last two years. I've never seen the, 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 the volumes accelerate over the last, you know, two years since COVID. Everything that, we're, that we wanted to see is actually happening and yet the stock's coming down because of that expectations management issue. I would look at it as a tech company. I would look at it as a disruptor for the networks, for the traditional networks, for Visa and MasterCard. I think that they were talking about uh, Venmo gaining share at checkout, right? That's a very, very important thing that people are not giving enough credit for, right? Venmo is like the Alipay of the US and it's gaining share at checkout, which means that over time it should become more ubiquitous at checkout. So they're sitting on amazing assets. People are not giving them any credit for that. And I would value them as a tech company, not as a you know, not as a legacy company. Dan, I hate to get too much into the macro, but we are sort of keeping an eye on the household uh, balance sheet. They talk about the uh, lower income cohort uh, being disrupted by inflation, lack of stimulus and the rest. I know we didn't hear it from a lot of the other uh, financials this quarter uh, so far, but how how strong of a line are you drawing between that comment from the call uh, and and the broader uh, macro environment? No, it's a fascinating comment because I think I think what they're what you're seeing now. This is the first time you basically get not like a, a cannery in a coal mine, but you're getting an early bird view of the, can- the cannery in the coal mine because the, you know this ecosystem didn't exist. This is not a PayPal. If there's an issue here with the low income consumer, this is not if there is one. This is not a PayPal issue. This is a broader macro issue with it, which which kind of makes sense, right? We're lapping stimulus like inflation like it, it nothing here just kind of caught me by surprise but the first time we get that as an early indicator because this ecosystem didn't exist in 08 it didn't exist in 2000 of these apps mm. uh, that's an interesting thing we flagged it by the way when we dan, looked at buy now pay later and delinquencies too dan what if uh as disappointing as this is for paypal investors this is rational it's a return to reality i'm looking at visa versus paypal over the last two years with this drop in PayPal, they're performing the same, right? Like right. now Visa's doing well. Maybe it was doing worse than it should have stock-wise. Maybe PayPal was doing better. What about that? Yeah, I mean, look, PayPal's growing, um, you know, it should be growing revenue in, in, you know, in the 20s once they lap um, the eBay, right? And, and you know, from, from a Visa perspective, I think there's, there's more issues than, than opportunities over the medium term. I mean, it's a great company, but... I think that the future for PayPal definitely looks brighter, in my view, than the future for Visa, just because where they are in the uh, ecosystem and the opportunity to increase uh, share of checkout. So I would, I would buy PayPal over, over Visa at this point. Dan, appreciate it very much. Uh, really, that's uh, an awful print today, but we'll see how it uh, rebounds, if at all, in the days and quarters to come. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, in terms of market action, uh, relatively flattish, haven't moved around a whole lot. VIX can continues to be anchored very close to 22. Uh, we didn't talk a whole lot about energy, but NatGas is having another barn burner of a day. We're going to watch that. And then, of course, tonight, uh, Spot and Meta, just two of the highlights. For now, though, let's get to the half. And Melissa Lee. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.